This is Decentralized, the Decentralized Trials and Research Podcast. We gather here with friends and guests to talk about the latest ways to make research and clinical trials around the world more inclusive, more accessible, more resilient, and more sustainable, all by using decentralized methods. This podcast is recorded live on Clubhouse every Friday, 12 to 1 Eastern, on the TGIF DCT show at the Decentralized Trials Club. You can join the live sessions and add your voice every Friday at noon Eastern time with the free Clubhouse app by following the Decentralized Trials Club. And of course, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform to get notified of new episodes. Following the club and subscribing will also help you stay current for any of the bonus content we may drop. And now, it's time to decentralize. Folks, you're, you've landed in the Decentralized Trials Club here on Clubhouse, and we gather here every Friday from 12 to 1 Eastern and chat about rotating topics related to decentralized clinical trials. These topics really have a wide range to them, whether it's from a technical perspective around interoperability, patient perspectives around recruitment, retention, diversity, and topics that I love that start to reach into exciting collaborations in this space, especially when they're collaborations amongst uh, the the DTRA community and seeing how um, one plus one can really create three. Um, as usual, we'll start the conversation off just with our, our, our co-hosts, and then we'll open up the room for your thoughts, ideas, and questions. So um, use that little hand wavy button on the bottom right and raise your hand when you have a question. Um, just a quick preview for folks. So we're here with Kelly and Irfan this week. Uh, next week on February 4th, we are going to welcome uh, Brian Slizky from PwC. Brian just published a report at PwC on retailers disrupting uh, decentralized and, and uh, clinical trials. So we'll have Brian on talking about some of that research. Um, the following week, we're going to talk about digital measurements and we'll have uh, Andy Corvos and Samantha Reed on uh, talking about um, how to best find the right tracker or wearable for any given study. Um, the month of February is actually looking great. We have a session coming up on pediatrics and uh, decentralized trials with kids. We have a session on uh, data integration um, and we'll kind of wrap up that month with a, a session we'll do collaboratively with DIME, the Digital Medicine Society, as we talk about the draft guidance on um, digital health technologies that's out there. So keep following the club, keep following the, the folks you're seeing here on uh, Clubhouse. We've got some great topics coming up ahead, Amir. Hopefully this will keep you busy. It sure will, and you did a really great job while we waited for Irfan. Welcome, Irfan. I see you even festive with your red balloon. Yeah, I don't know what that's about, but yeah, it's great to be here, guys. I have never seen that before, so uh, that's a good trick here, Fun. I don't know how you did it. Um, welcome. 
Um, well, why don't we get started? We'll uh, we'll let our co-hosts introduce themselves, and then we'll kick off this uh, topic this week, which is around um, what comes from uh, bringing together uh, networks of investigators together with established uh, technology platforms in the space, and what could come from this that would be particularly exciting and game-changing. Kelly, do you want to kick us off and introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Craig. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kelly McKee. I'm a vice president um, of patient registries and recruitment at Metadata. I also focus on uh, things like product marketing and partnerships and improving patient experiences before a trial, during a trial, and after a trial. So I wear lots and lots of hats, but one of the... Um, the things that ties them all together is my passion for making clinical trials an option for more people. So super excited to be speaking with you all today about this very important topic. And Kelly, you've been around this field for a few minutes before Medidata. What, um, what hats have you worn in your not so distant past? Yeah, I've been um, involved in clinical research in one way or another for over 20 years. I started my uh, career as a clinical research associate associate where when we back in the old, olden days where we did 100% SDV using the three part NCR paper. Um, this is the pre 911 days where you know you arrive to the airport five minutes before your flight and sometimes be jumping over gates to, to make your connections. Um, and uh, following that, I moved into you know project management, uh, clinical trial project management, and then I um, found out or discovered that I was um, very good at patient recruitment, um, and I loved the combination of the you know combining science with um, more creativity and marketing principles. And so I moved into patient recruitment, um, working for sponsors such as Merck and Lilly and Vertex. And um, almost two years ago now, I made the change from the sponsor side to the service provider side at Metadata, and I've been having a blast um, using technology to um, improve our space. Kelly, I'm always curious about people's uh, journeys and their paths. And, you know, last week we were talking about talent and just the challenges around talent and the movement of talent today. Um, is there anything you can share about the transition for you from working on the sponsor side and um, pharma large and, and, and biotech leaders and making that transition into a technology uh, organization? I mean, that had to have been a pretty big leap for you. Well, it was a leap because it was during the pandemic. So I think anything is a leap, right, <laughs> um, during that time. But, you know, I think it's just it's the same thing as playing for a different team, right? So if, if you're a football player and you're playing for the Patriots and then you get signed on with the Bills, it's still the same game. They're just different plays. And, you know, um, and so it's sort of the same. Um, I can tell you that uh, the the lines of like who should work for a sponsor versus who should work for a CRO versus who should work for a technology provider. Perhaps in the past, there were personas that aligned with those much better, but I think now everything is so fluid and I'm thankful that um, people are able to move to, to work for companies that really align with their goals, what they want to focus on um, and the culture. So I, I can't say that the culture is different at a sponsor versus a technology company because it's a sponsor versus a technology company. I think that 
culture really depends on a lot of variables and um, you'll find, you know, that certain personas will work uh, better at certain pharmaceutical companies or certain technology providers. And it's just about finding the right space for you at the right time. It's a great observation. I mean, I've, I've uh, traveled around across uh, site and tech and services and pharma and biotech. And like you, I think it really, you know, not only does it, I think round us all out professionally, but I think it also just helps us all with, with empathy. And it's so easy for us to say, um, why are sponsors making decisions this way? Why is my CRO a bunch of knuckleheads? Why is this technology so limiting? And you know, when you when you move around and you get to operate in these different organizations, you can, I think, come away with a lot more appreciation for the realities on the ground and why it really is hard in some of these organizations. And hopefully then, Work, be able to work together and come up with uh, some great solutions. So I'm sure you're, I'm, I'm guessing you're sensing a, a lot of that right now in your world, Kelly. Absolutely. And not only sponsor CRO technology provider, but patient. Um, many of you know that I participated in the Pfizer um, COVID vaccine trial. And while I've been involved in clinical research for over 20 years, um, I've never been involved in the way that I was as a participant in a placebo-controlled, you know, phase two, three trial. And I have to tell you that I learned so much um, just from having that hands-on experience. So I really um, commend individuals who are willing to look beyond the, the traditional um, escalation of uh, career progression and move around and, and get that breadth of expertise. Now, I love that you gave the analogy before about switching teams from, say, the Patriots to the Bills, because, <laughs> you know, in both cases, you'd have nothing to do right now but get your shovel ready and get your snowplow gassed up and sit back and watch TV. And that's a great segue to you, Irfan, <laughs> our friend in Buffalo. You're getting a lump of coal for Christmas is all I know. That was terrible. <laughs> hey, I say that as a, as, a, as a Patriots fan who's also got nothing to do but watch TV now. Um, but, uh, Irfan, would you like to introduce yourself for, uh, for the folks in our crowd today? Absolutely. It's great to be here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Irfan Khan. Uh, I'm uh, founder and CEO of Circuit Clinical. Uh, by background, I'm a cardiac electrophysiologist. So I used to put in pacemakers and defibrillators and things like that and um, spent uh, you know, a fairly uh, long time as an investigator uh, between uh, Case Western, where I trained, and uh, in Buffalo, where I've uh, lived and worked for the last uh, 15 years or so. Um, and uh, and uh, the background of circuit is that uh, that uh, my dad got Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, and uh, we saw a bunch of those trials go nowhere a while back. And uh, we had been experimenting in Buffalo at putting uh, heart failure trials into the outpatient setting. And that actually went pretty well. Uh, they outperformed our big group. And that kind of launches on this idea to how do you um, operationalize healthcare spaces uh, to be research spaces? And what do you have to, to give patients to support them? So our work's built around uh, patient engagement through trial journey, kind of transparent ratings and reviews, kind of like health grades, and really certainly built off of uh, uh, off the support of uh, Carrie Hicks, who's the founder and CEO of Health Grades and our executive chairman. Uh, but then also looking at how do you operationalize those care spaces and, and bring new health systems into research. And so it's that combination of... Uh, digital engagement and, uh, and clinical delivery that I think is is a um, an interesting intersection right now as we we really go to a full adoption culture, I think, uh, with uh, with pharma and CROs. So great to be here. 
Great to keep this theme going about uh, people's journeys and, and their, their crossover. So you've had a few different hats you've worn of uh, investigator. I, th I think is, is research participant, has that been on your list too? Uh, yep, it, it sure has. I've uh, I, I proudly hit for the cycle, been the patient, been the doctor, been the investigator and, uh, and, uh, and now run circuit. So I've certainly seen it from a few angles. Amira, I know you've you've traveled around this space uh, yourself. It's uh, it's nice to have this diversity of perspective. Uh, you know, the, what I was going to say is, uh, I really was glad that the conversation you and Kelly were having to start with, which may seem kind of uh, not on the, the topic, but to me, for years in the forums I've chaired, I've really encouraged people to walk in other people's shoes, and also. You know, we're very good at, as you sort of hinted at before, kind of pointing the finger at everyone else and why they're part of the problem. And I've always encouraged people to one, understand, you know, where the others are coming from, but also, you know, look in the mirror and see how there can be a solution no matter what, you know, sector they're on. So I think there's a really important point you made about developing empathy around that and really understanding, you know, what are the challenges for the other uh, sort of partners we work with. So I thought that was a really good conversation to have. Uh, completely agree. And by the way, the uh, red balloon apparently is your welcome party for a week uh, when you've uh, joined Clubhouse recently. So I see Richie and you, Ophan, have the uh, you have a welcome party going on today. That's really interesting because uh, Amira, I've I've been on Clubhouse for a while. I don't I don't know why today it noticed I'm here, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, just yeah. I would just take it. <laughs> We, we have seen um, some people say uh, if they get a new phone, um, maybe uh, maybe Clubhouse didn't recognize that they've been here before. Although the latest release of Clubhouse, I think they they claim they've updated some of that. But I agree. Enjoy the festivities, Irfan. You, you, you guys, uh, I think you deserve it. So, <laughs> but um, and you know, Amir, just to build on that point that you just raised, and then I want we'll we'll shift a little more into the theme for today. What a great build on last week's conversation about talent and the opportunities that, that are out there today. And what a great time in history if, if folks haven't, you know, had the opportunity to work on the other side, whatever that is, or whatever that means to you professionally. What a great uh, window right now to do that. Um, I've certainly seen a lot of friends, and I see them in the room here, who've made that jump from biotech and pharma over to tech. Um, I've seen a couple that have jumped over to the site side and some of the different permutations of what that means to be on the site side. And I think there are gonna be some really interesting growth opportunities there for, uh, for talent uh, over, over, the coming, over the coming months and years. Um, but today, we're gonna talk a bit about what a collaboration can look like between um, an, an investigator network and a tech platform. Airfoam, why don't we start over with you since we just had you off mute a minute ago. Um, wh what do you see as, as a leader who's been building out a network of investigators for some time, um, what's the connection for Decentralized that you're trying to build and create? Yeah, I um, appreciate the opportunity. So um, this is Irfan, and uh, um, the way we look at this, um, what we're what we're trying to accomplish at Circuit is is to bring clinical trials as local as possible, uh, and as local as optimal might be the right way to think about it. And so, um, one of the ideas behind that is that if you carefully chose which health systems that you helped operationalize, 
you could just as a byproduct of, of uh, the strategy really transform which investigators get the opportunity to participate in clinical trials and which patients do, uh, which would have access to even hearing about it in a context that might make more sense, more culturally competent. So could you operationalize uh, healthcare spaces that serve diverse communities? That might be a very practical way to, to make an improvement. And so if decentralization at its, at its maybe its broadest level is, is bringing trials out closer to patients, uh, whether it's at home, whether it's, it's, it's fully remote versus it's, uh, it's more practically located or more contextually located. I think that's been part of the mission statement since we got going, which was let, let's, let's bring this a little bit closer to patients and in a context where it's easier to process. Um, the other part of our mission is that we're very into changing the experience of participating. I think you can't really do that well until you understand the experience and, and really create some engagement. And so on the digital side with trial journey, it's really been all about trying to understand what are patients thinking when they look? What are they? What do they need in order to support that decision? Um, and it led to some very interesting conversations with um, with uh, teams last year uh, that focus on the platform technology that uh, enable uh, the decentralization of trials. And it led to this set of conversations around the idea that could there be a a, a value, a new value created in the space if if you could combine new investigators that were operationalized and supported to be successful in clinical trials, really kind of taken through that part of the journey, uh, potentially bringing their patients new opportunities, and then coupling that to, to a, a platform that allows real scale, like true scalability and, uh, and uh, lots of therapeutic areas and lots of opportunities. Um, that together felt like it could be something really interesting in, in, in driving change in terms of who gets asked to participate and who is asking. And I think that would be, you, if you couple that to you know, kind of, uh, you know, leading edge technology to, to, to take that into uh, maximally convenient, uh, maximally appropriate spaces, that felt like it could be something really new and valuable in the space. It's a great perspective. This is Craig. This is a great perspective to hear because I think that for leaders that um, are either at a site level, a network of sites, building out networks with uh, diverse investigators, yeah, there is this question today of um, where do I fit in the decentralized universe? Am I going to be left behind? What what should be my story and engagement here to be a part of this future and to help define what this future looks like? Um, Kelly, so what what brought you together thinking about this with Irfan? What was the gap or challenges uh, that you were hoping to fill in collaborating with a with, a, with a, an investigator network like this. Yeah, thanks, Craig. Um, and this is Kelly. So one of the things that we hear loudly and clearly from sponsors and CROs and patients is that innovation tends to be overly complex. And so to improve experiences, it's really important that we standardize the best possible experience onto one platform. So that's not to say um, that there aren't other ways to do it. But when you think about your best experiences, they're easy and they're worthwhile. And, um, and it's like you almost don't have to worry about all the complexities behind the scenes because the user interface is just so simple and beautiful. And we want more people to adopt DCTs, not just fully decentralized trials, but hybrid trials. 
I maintain the um, notion that any trial can incorporate at least some aspect of DCTs. But we heard from sponsors and CROs that it's just too complicated to be able to get all of the moving parts into one place. So at Metadata, we already had an amazing patient-focused um, uh, technology in my Metadata. That's our patient platform. We already have Rave that everybody knows our EDC platform, as well as many other capabilities. But we didn't have um, access to DCT investigators, nor did we have a way for patients to be able to provide ratings and reviews of their clinical trial experiences. So Circuit Clinical fit um, both of those needs very well, as well as having access to um, you know, a large number, an expanding number of sites and with DCT capabilities, as well as patients who are already involved um, with their care at those sites. So it really was um, a, a perfect match. Um, and we were really lucky that, you know, Circuit wanted to partner with us on this. And we're just so excited about the future. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. So there are a couple of things here that, that came up, and, and one is certainly this theme around around the investigators. So, um, but but one quick thought, Kelly, um, is um, you know, as as when you're thinking about that future, and you know, how much of the future can we make happen on an integrated platform, and how much of it needs interoperability to to keep innovation flourishing. I'm, I'm just kind of always curious about this personally, as we, as we think about, you know, um, research and, and platforms in our space. Um, how, how do you think about that? Um, you know, can, can everything really happen on one platform and where on the edges do we have to have integration taking place? And maybe some of that even links into what you're describing around experience. It absolutely all ties into experience. So as long as you're continuing to innovate on a platform, as long as you're continuing to look for the best capabilities to improve experiences, then I maintain that the platform approach is the way to go. It really all ties back to the participant in the trial and the site in the trial and the sponsor in the trial or CRO, that, that triad, if you will. And we want clinical trials to just become so easy to, to be a part of and easy to experience that um, it's like a no-brainer. Um, I really want us to come to a place where clinical trials become an option for more people, are not just a last-ditch effort. And to do that, we really need a, a seamless approach. So, well, you know, well, some may say, oh, but that really stifles innovation and, and we need, um, you know, more um, out of the box thinking and, and platforms are just too stodgy. I maintain that they're not if done the right way. And if you always are looking for the best capabilities and the best experiences and really keeping, you know, that triad in mind of the patient and her experience, the site and, and his experience and the sponsor and her experience. Thanks, Kelly. So, Irfan, when I'm curious your thoughts here in terms of where you think this kind of a, a relationship goes. If if you have a a network of sites paired with 
a tech platform, is that like a direction that the meta site is going to head? The idea of like a centralized site is that does that sort of become democratized in a way? That's yeah, that's an interesting question, um, and this is Irfan. Um, at least for our thesis, and I'm not suggesting there's only one correct thesis, but just sharing how we look at it, and 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 by we, I'll take the liberty of uh, of including our, our friends and partners at Metadata in this, because it, it's important to note that from our perspective, uh, we're just thrilled about this opportunity to build something really great for patients together. Um, and it allows us to focus on the things we do really well uh, and, uh, and be partner to somebody who does what they do extremely well. Um, I would suggest that that while the Metasite concept is, is certainly got its, uh, its adherence and its utilities, um, that there's also this, this um, flexibility that comes from being able to, to bring physicians who, who have their own systems and that you're already aligned with, and you can flex into you know, visits in office, visits at home, uh, and decentralized can mean what, what the sponsors um, uh, really need it to mean in order for, um, for, for delivery, uh, but also really, um, I envision a world where where, where um, patients' uh, choice actually rolls into this as well. When we talk about optimizing experience, I think there's some simple things we can do here too. There's been a lot of uh, uh, opinion pieces delivered confidently to sound like fact about patients want to have these visits at home. But when we look closely at the data of who's actually having visits at home, there's a lot of concerns there too in terms of whether they want people in the house, especially in in uh, you know in this part of the pandemic, uh, versus whether they want their healthcare happening. Uh, in their neighborhood, and there's there's trade-offs in both these situations. So I look at it like you know our our vision for this is to provide patients and sponsors with a lot of flexibility and a lot of choice across a broad range of therapeutic areas, and that's really where one of our advantages comes in from because we're so health system based for our investigator networks. Um, we're able to find a path to sustainability of that network and scalability. Uh, more doctors, more therapeutic areas, more diverse communities. Um, and I think that's, for us, that gets us feeling like we're playing a very important role in what the whole thing could look like three years from now, five years from now. And so that's very exciting. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't going to be other ways to add value, but uh, but we look at this uh, together with metadata and it's, it's, um, it's exciting. It's exciting to think that this is a new contribution, um, maybe beyond uh, the idea of the the classic idea of the meta site, and really more aimed at uh, uh, maximal flexibility for patients, maximal flexibility for sponsors. Amir, that always feels like the right answer to me, right? In terms of um, how do we just open more access points and, and through all these different channels, not rep necessarily replacing or closing doors, but the game being how many different doors can we create for participation? Sure, absolutely. And um, just trying to dig in a little bit about the partnership, uh, Kelly and Irfan, are you, I mean, can you think of any similar partnerships before I'm trying to think of one? Uh, can you think of any, you know, site groups have partnered like this with a, a company like Metadata? I'll take that first and Kelly, I'll throw it over to you. Um, I'm not aware of one and we, you know, we, we evolved it through a series of conversations aimed at scale. Um, and, you know, it, it's not lost on me that the, uh, the Series C funded, you know, uh, New York, upstate New York startup uh, is at a certain scale disadvantage when talking about the, the largest e-clinical provider in the world. Um, but the idea is really the scaling of access for, 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 for patients and, and for, 
for physician investigators who, who want to participate. And that was really the idea. At the, at the very beginning, uh, when we first started having these conversations, it was not about what exists today and what can be deployed today and what, what creates value today. It was really more of if we agreed to collaborate, what could we create in this space over the next three to five years? What would that look like and what value would it create both for, for patients and sponsors? And was that compelling? Um, so I wasn't aware, at least as far as uh, um, the stuff I had seen before, that, that anyone was tackling the problem that way. Uh, Kelly? Yeah, I agree that nobody else has tackled the, the problem in the way that we have. And, you know, it really wasn't just about the DCT sites. It was also about, you know, ratings and reviews, access to patients, um, as well as just the innovative spirit that Irfan's really talking about in that our visions of what we want the future to be in making clinical re research an option for more people to improving experiences of patients, sites, and sponsors, and really, um, you know, accelerating the development of new medicines, vaccines, and devices just really align. And I think one of the things, just tying back to our earlier conversations, we're in this, um, we're in this space in the world right now where we're able to create these novel solutions. And um, because we've been able, we as an industry have been able to show the world that even despite a pandemic, we can continue clinical research, we can continue communications. And so it's, we're really at a precipice, I think, of um, seeing some major change um, in the ways that clinical trials are designed and developed and executed. Um, and I'm really excited about it. So another, apart from access, I guess another goal everyone has is to simplify and reduce the cost of drug development. Um, I'm trying to sort of think through what components of a traditional CRO would still be needed within the context of a in a partnership like that? Can you guys comment about that? I mean, do do is there a need for a CRO in this context? Well, I, I can start, and then maybe you're fine. You can go. So neither of our companies are CROs. We're yeah. not. Um, there's, yeah. you know, we work with CROs, we partner with CROs, and so we don't aspire to be CROs. So, you know, I just want to put that out there. Um, and, you know, so sponsors use CROs for a variety of reasons. Um, some small biotechs use CROs for practically all of their um, operations, um, medical writing, site monitoring, et cetera. Um, and some large sponsors don't use CROs at all for some of their studies and then use CROs for others. Um, so to answer your question, Amir, no, we, we're not in the business of becoming a CRO at, at all. Um, you know, really, we're we're a technology solution provider, a site network, um, and um, both very innovative companies who've decided to partner in some really um, amazing ways. Yeah, I, I Kelly beat me to the buzzer on that one. Um, you know, we uh, I, I think there's a tremendous need. I really do. I just have never been a fan of this concept of disintermediating CROs or th their their time is done. I, I just they create a they you know. There's a reason they ha have existed for as long as they have, and they've scaled the way they have, and they've actually proven remarkably adaptive to 
um, the uh, the headwinds and the tailwinds of, of, of innovation and and market change. And so I, I certainly don't want to be, be running a CRO, with all due respect to my friends who, who do a great job uh, building and running those companies. Um, I think that's a different value contribution. And I think that um, it's a lot of work in front of us, right? We've 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 announced this partnership. We've 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 got a really good opportunity to create something new and valuable. Um, but it doesn't come at the expense of the CROs. And you know, part of the proof is that that uh, you know, Circuit's also a strategic partner uh, and a non-exclusive strategic partner with with LabCorp drug development and LabCorp uh, diagnostics. And so you know, not only do we work with them, we work with a host of other CROs, and as does metadata. And and so if anything, I look at this like somebody is going to solve the problem to provide scalability with physician access with the surrogate of scalability of opportunity for patients and if they do that and they're able to couple that to a, a you know utterly proven and fully deployed scaled uh, platform then you're solving a real problem for CROs that are sort of saying hey you know we think we can deliver 60% of this program and we'd like to have you know, fewer uh, vendors to solve this this other, or fewer partners really to solve this other delivery part of the problem I think that becomes a really interesting conversation where where um, where we take this, which is really sort of saying that here are some here are some ways to add, to engage patients um, in ways that are culturally competent uh, that would really change the participant pool and uh, and can be done as securely and compliantly and uh, and scalably uh, from a platform perspective. That's the value add. I think everything else that we think of when we think about the CRO space, we're just really happy to stick to our knitting because the problems Circuit are working on are hard enough as they are, and the problems that Metadata cares about are hard enough as they are. So, I, you know, just, just to echo Kelly's idea, I think this is really more um, to be likely to be seen by our friends in the CRO space as new value that they can access. That's great, Irfan. Uh, we're at the bottom of the hour. Craig, did you want to reset the room and um, make folks to come on stage? My pleasure. Welcome. Uh, if you're just joining us, it's uh, 12.30 Eastern time. We're halfway into lunch together here on the East Coast for TGIF DCT. You're in the Decentralized Trials Club here in Clubhouse. And this week, we, uh, we as always, are rotating our topics with interesting co-hosts. Uh, this week's topic is leaning in around investigator networks and decentralized tech platforms. Our co-hosts this week are Kelly McKee from Medidata and Irfan Khan from Circuit Clinical. We've been talking so far about a pretty nice range of topics from career journeys and diversity in terms of uh, experience that people are building straight through to this uh, interesting lean around what is the space for an investigator network to add another opportunity to decentralized? But there, there's another topic that Kelly and Irfan have heard you both bring up, and then I'd love to open up the room for the audience. So um, if you guys have uh, questions or perspectives that you want to share, go ahead and take advantage of the button at the bottom of your screen, and we'll pull you on up on the stage while that's happening. Um, Kelly, you had mentioned as far as um, experience data being a part of the reason for partnering here. Um, I'm curious, what is it that you're hoping to get out of experience data that maybe is missing and where might that be unique or special in this world of decentralized experience? Great question, Craig. <laughs> um, so if you think about your everyday, you're always being asked for input. So you take an Uber ride, you have to leave, you know, five, four, three, two, one stars. Um, health grades um, really transformed the way that patients were able to have a voice 
um, and, and not only have a voice, but share their voices. But clinical research has been one place where this was never done before. And sponsors really um, thought or, you know, were under the impression that patients were providing that feedback to sites. Sites would then provide it back to CRAs. CRAs would then provide it back to the study teams. And the study teams would take it into consideration for their next study. We all know that that just that trickle down patient experience, if you will, it, it didn't work. And so um, with trial journey and now, you know, trial journey um, ratings and reviews being available to uh, sponsors and CROs using RAVE, we're really going to be able to collect that information so that sites, sponsors and CROs can have that not only baseline for how do my participants feel about my study, we can see that over time with that longitudinal view. So that can be used to um, determine if there could be a retention problem and then um, you know, activities could ensue from that. But it also really can serve as a way to baseline uh, clinical trial experiences as a whole um, per therapeutic area, per, um, you know, sponsor CRO, et cetera. And when we're able to understand that and collect it, we can then measure the impact of innovations and improvements uh, in patient centricity. So we're just super excited about the ability to um, allow more people to provide, more patients to provide ratings and reviews on trial journey and super excited about being able to um, understand what this data really means. Thanks, Kelly. Um, your fondness, this, um, the, this, uh, the platform then, so uh, a partner like Medidata is able to help um, in, in driving research participants to share their experience. Um, they'll be able to see insights from research participants around their experience, uh, whether that's around the platform, whether that's around the experience with the site. Where else does this data go on, on trial journey and who else can who else can interface around it? Thanks, Craig. This is Sir Fon. Um, the uh, the overarching idea behind trial journey going going on like two and a half, three years now, um, is really built around the idea that that um, we should bring the same decision support into considering clinical trials that we bring into everything else we do, uh, shopping for shoes on Amazon or booking travel, and um, and 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 finding our doctors via health grades. And so that's the heart of this idea: is that there's this trust and transparency that can be created to really accelerate and to improve both the choice to participate and then the experience of participating. For that to work well, um, you know, and for it to really provide patients with the most information, it's really about encouraging as many sites, as many health systems, as many uh, sponsors, and I would, I, would, I would make the case as many uh, DCT platforms uh, to, to utilize a common third-party uh, place for patients to share their ratings and reviews. And so that does get us excited. Um, for that to be, for, for patients to go on that journey initially though, you have to think about scale and you have to think about how do you really start to build data sets that could, that could really talk about experience in a way that you could summarize it and annotate it and, and provide insights. Um, and for that scale, there's really no better partner than metadata. Uh, so it's, it's pretty incredible. Like from our perspective, 
um, when we look at it, it's it's having a having a strategic partner that's truly strategic, that that uh, wants to make sure that as they uh, provide DCT solutions uh, to their clients, kind of across the space, the beginning with the end in mind, they're also creating this two-way communication and this opportunity for participants to share what it's like visit over visit and research. Um, we hope that that's the flywheel that 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 engagement gets a flywheel turning that gets everybody interested in making sure they're they're thinking about the value of of of, uh, of patient experience data. Um, I always make this this point. It's obviously self-interested since I'm a huge believer in ratings and reviews. Um, that that we have kind of gone through these three um, these three evolutions. One was a was a pull, which is really actually the first story was a push. Email send outs to people, patients and consumers in general, just telling them about the stuff that that business does. And so total push, like just sending stuff out, terrible open rates, terrible. So low conversion, low yield, um, just very one way. And then things got slightly better with with a pull, which is surveying. And you hear a lot about this. We have focus groups. We do, you know, we do these uh, simulations. These are all valuable contributions because they are definitely providing expert insight in real time of what it might like to be a patient in those situations. Um, anybody who's not sure about uh, trial simulations, just sit through one, and you'd be amazed what you can learn about a protocol you've seen a hundred times as soon as you see it in action. But there is compression there. There's massive compression with all of these kinds of solutions, with surveying and with um, with uh, simulation. And and one patient just can't stand in place of thousands of patients and millions of patients and, and participants. And you know that's true because that's one of the first things that every uh, patient advocate I know uh, who speaks publicly and talks about it says this all the time that that they're sharing their unique experience with an understanding and a sensitivity that they don't represent the experiences of uh, of everybody. And and candidly, up until recently, that's been a very homogenous group of patient advocates. So we don't even really have good eyes into the subtleties of being a, um, uh, a patient from a diverse uh, background trying to access clinical trials. So scale, uh, it provides patient experience a really interesting opportunity is that, that if there is a place where patients can, can share that data, then the vision for it is to, to roll it up and to do exactly what other great platform companies have done, which is, is provide insights from it. And I think those insights go in three directions. I think they go first and foremost back to patients to help them make decisions. I think they can go to health systems to help them understand how do, how do these sites and health systems craft better experiences while a person's there and learn. And then most interestingly, they can go back to sponsors and, uh, and by sponsors, I'm including the CROs uh, as well because they're interested in this project management insights to really say, how do we optimize experience and, and, and use the, uh, the fact that we're interested in this, genuinely interested in this as an opportunity to out actually engage, to go one step beyond um, uh, just uh, surveying and into true engagement, which is that, that two-way communication. So that's the vision, you know, it doesn't, again, these are daunting challenges. They take time, they take resources, they take focus. Uh, it's, it's again, I'll, I'll cycle back to it's why I have no intention of becoming a CRO. Uh, it's because these challenges are hard enough. So fun. First of all, as always, you're so articulate to kind of talking about a topic you know a lot about. And I think this topic of patient ratings is such, I'm, I'm actually surprised we haven't done a whole session on this, Craig, and I suggest we do that because there's so many nuances to it. But I want to just dig in a tiny bit before we go to RT and Jane, um, just so everyone's clear, maybe who's not familiar with the product. Um, we, we mentioned that this is obviously great feedback for sponsors, CROs. Um, is this also patient-facing, that like potential patients could even look at ratings for the site? Can you just tell us a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, absolutely. And this is Irfan. Um, so uh, the product we're talking about is called Trial Journey. You can go for yourself anytime you'd like and uh, go to trialjourney.com. Uh, it's available to everybody. In a nutshell, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, myself and the uh, you know the uh, other nerds I hang out with uh, uh, thought it would be very interesting. Uh, it's a true story. The founder of HealthGrades, the founding CTO of HealthGrades, and I all had a conversation that we had been asked to, to look for a trial for a loved one in the last couple of months, and all three of us had gone 0 for 3. And you have to, you know, my background is all I do is hang out with principal investigators and some of the, the, the big centers, you know, so I have really like I'm health literate and I'm completely health privileged. And I went, I, I couldn't believe that I couldn't find even a hint of a trial. And then, you know, the two founders of health grades are fairly uh, successful individuals with a lot of healthcare connections. So it had us noodling on this problem. I had been thinking about a better search answer to clinicaltrials.gov would be, where should I go? And what do people like me think? And, um, and uh, I, I had been thinking about uh, the, the search engine response and, and uh, Dave Hicks, uh, HealthGrades' uh, founding CTO and CIO, had been thinking about how, how do you take what HealthGrades did really well with the fact that people when they're unhappy and they rate tend to stay with the same doctor. You'll hear people say, well, they, people don't really change their health system because they're insurance, but they do change their doctor all the time. But if you rate uh, uh, online and your health system or physician engage that directly, people stay, they give you a chance. and so. He was looking at the fact that most ratings on health grades are positive and the few that aren't provide deep insights into how you can how you can transform care. So those two ideas that maybe maybe ratings and reviews could be used to create engagement in clinical trials, which I just cannot credit Dave enough. That's a brilliant insight uh, because it goes right at the heart of retention and, and, and maybe even uh, extends that to recruitment. And this this you know, kind of noodle I'd been on about a better search engine, a better search answer really is what it was led us to transform the clinicaltrials.gov data set and then to pull together a whole set of publicly available data sets. And it let us transform, for example, my hometown, uh, University of Buffalo, has said has 17 names uh, inside, uh, and they're all on structured data inside clinicaltrials.gov. So Trial Journey basically took the search ontology, location, and disease, and it took all those names and compressed them down to one name per, per site. And so those thousands of sites in the U.S. and Canada we were able to kind of create a nomenclature for, and from there then you could attach them uh, and analyze them against other publicly available data sets on infrastructure and things like that. And so it led to us being able to write a core algorithm where we could score every site in the, uh, in the country against this kind of composite score, just like HealthGrades did when it got started. Um, and you can imagine the concerns that people have at the first, well, this doesn't seem fair, how, how, how dare you? But really the idea we pointed out was the algorithm's open. And the algorithm is open to the only thing we really care about, which is what do patients think? What do participants think about being in a trial at your site? So it's not so much about rating the site, the, the clinical trial itself. It's more about rating the experience of being in a clinical trial at that site. So that search engine is live right now for patients. They use it you know, regularly. We don't monetize any of that data. Uh, it's really not what it's about. On the patient-facing side, everything's free. Um, we get letters from, from parents from time to time who found a trial for their child using it, which is pretty cool. Um, and what it led to was, the reason we built it was we wanted to be able to offer health systems we were going into uh, something additional to kind of get them thinking, hey, you can elevate your brand, you can, you can learn from your participants as you go along, you don't need to be scared about taking on research. It's been a huge hit, the health systems love it, they, they know exactly how to utilize um, experience data. Uh, and then from there we learned that our friends and sponsors and CROs thought this was actually kind of interesting and, and could you create um, a data set for us around the experience of being in a clinical trial that's curated and moderated. We don't want people talking about ECOA and eSource. already great solutions for that. But just stuck, to, just stuck to the experience of being somebody in a research uh, study at a particular site to help make that a better thing. And so that was really, that's the work. 
um, and it's scaled up into this kind of offering now that uh, that we're able to provide uh, sponsors and CROs as well. And so, you know, you couple that to something as powerful as Rave, and you really do have the ability to create one of the largest patient experience data sets out there. But that's the that's the core offering. It's it's free to patients and you know all of us who are looking for our loved ones in the middle of the night. It's meant to be a solution with a better search engine. Um, it's getting better all the time and learning as we go. Uh, with this opportunity to really help health systems sponsors and CROs think deeply about how is the experience in their trial at that health system or that site, and how can we all collaborate with that information to to transform that experience. That's so, sorry if that sounded like an infomercial detail. So Craig, should we um, start uh, with Artie and Jane? Uh, for the... Sounds great. Artie, welcome. Feel free to uh, introduce yourself, share your uh, thought, idea, question. Yes, thank you, Craig. And thank you, Amir, for hosting this wonderful uh, DCT Clubhouse every Friday. I listen to it. And uh, Dr. Khan and Kelly, congratulations on the wonderful partnership. Um, so my question, I mean, my background to introduce myself, I'm a clinical researcher for about closing in on 12 years now, and um, I'm an operations nerd, if you can say so. I'm more of a process person, operations, and I'm always like, okay, how can we do this and put this and make it work and process improvement and all of that. So my questions are geared from that angle, because in my experience, I've been in my roles, I've worked on site fronts and site management organizations, program manager. And in one of my roles, I've also been a regulatory manager. So Dr. Khan, could you give me any feedback or guidance on, because I share your passion for involving, you know, physicians or, you know, community providers or any other healthcare providers, you know, into, into the clinical research system and providing trials as a care option. But one, how can we do that regulatory wise? Like, do you then make them all of them the sites? Like, and from 1572 perspective, I know this has been a big question, but I could use more clarity. And the second is, how do you incentivize them? What are ethical ways of incentivizing uh, these providers? Yeah, Thank great, you. great questions. All of them, they go right to the heart of the challenge. There's a, there is a reason, you know, it, it, it's it's that that there are so few physicians involved um, uh, in clinical research. Uh, you know, I think uh, uh, John Potter from the team at Algo have done a good job of, of explaining the numbers in terms of three percent of physicians get involved. Uh, most of us who've who've done it have seen more than uh, you know the vast majority end up one and done. And so I think that um, that that's pretty grim context, um, especially when you couple it to to physician behavior data, which suggests that that physicians overwhelmingly will not refer for a clinical trial, even inside their own group. And so, you know, here's a sobering thought. Unless your doctor, your personal physician, or your kid's physician does clinical research, you have no more access to it than anyone outside this industry. You know, the, the only access you have is the levered access you have through, through being a professional. So, the, you know, just think about being health illiterate or, or in an underserved community that has no physicians participating in clinical trials. There is zero uh, accessibility. So the, the challenge, though, is that is exactly what you laid out, that, um, that physicians are busier than ever. They're, they're, uh, they're leaving medicine in, in, in droves uh, for other things. And I, I have no, no criticism at all. I think I was the leading edge of that wave, apparently, unwittingly. Um, and um, and it is it is really difficult. So, 
the the answer is going to sound really self-serving um and I, I say that, that fully aware that what i'm about to say is going to sound very much like well because i do it this way i strongly suggest this is the right way to do it so that's the that's the disclosure we have found that the the framework that works is the there has to be an organization willing to absorb the uh the financial risk to starting up the operational and complete the regulatory risks of starting up and that's a big lift right that's that's not that's not a kid's game um, and so you have to have the infrastructure, the data systems, the regulatory and compliance team, uh, a really strong understanding of what, what compliance actually looks like. So what is fair market value? What's reasonable? You have to be able to, you have to have the financial structures inside an organization to be able to justify everything you're doing. So you're absolutely right, Artie. It's an incredible lift. It's why I think there are so few really scaled networks aimed at uh, transforming access through the health systems. Um, uh, and I think that it's, it's, it, you're absolutely right for those exact reasons. Now that said, once you have achieved the infrastructure, kind of that, that price of doing business, that, that, that teams that want to be involved in this, um, uh, really pay that price to get that in place. Then you actually have a set of toggling advantages because it's very relatively speaking straightforward for us to go into a health system and pitch them a full stack. And so that's qualitatively different than, say, what a research site next door could offer them, um, because we have, through our strategic partnerships with Metadata and with LabCorp, we have a lot of tools that we come into the door with, both our own platform trial journey, but, you know, but the fact that every member of our team is, is trained on Rave, but also able to use, if the sponsor's got something else, uh, whatever platform of choice they have. Um, and then again, LabCorp Diagnostics does something like, you know, several hundred clinical trials a year. So we're able to go in there with a lot of value. So that's the, that's the incredibly self-serving answer is that I think if you're going to go in to talk to a physician who's in the community about participating in clinical trials, the essence of it is there has to be enough value seen by the physician, value to their patients, which is, I mean, if you want to believe if altruism is alive and well in medicine, spend time with doctors in the federally qualified health centers. That is all they talk about from the minute the meeting starts to the end, which is what is the value to our community and our patients? Um, and then additionally, um, value enough, that threshold value that makes it worth their time as they run their practices and as uh, cost constraint in, in medicine only escalates the pressure on them to make it worth their while to try to do this, this thing they know is the right thing to do, but it also has to be de-risked in some important ways. So that's been kind of our learnings over seven years of kind of you know doing this. There are no there are no easy uh, answers in healthcare. And I, I watch, you know, venture back team after venture back team. And I can say this because we're a venture back team, um, you know, stumble on the idea that healthcare is easy and we're all a bunch of dum-dums who didn't figure it out. I personally think healthcare is incredibly complicated. And the only thing I found in my life more complicated than healthcare and maybe my teenagers is clinical trials. And so I think putting clinical trials into healthcare is an incredibly difficult, um, uh, value proposition that we're all struggling with. But I think the answer to it is you have to come with sufficient value and, and be able to talk on a long timeline that it's going to be a program, not one trial. So I hope that's helpful. Yes, that's that's very helpful. And thank you for sharing those. Uh, because, yeah, I mean, this uh, I've been talking to a lot of sites and physicians and they all want to get involved. But again, just keep, we keep stumbling upon this question of how to do this ethically, how to get involved. And so I but I'll, I'll follow those tips. It was great information. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And thanks again, Craig. Of course, Artie, it's good to see you here. We have about seven minutes left. 
And I'm always happy to welcome our friend Jane back to the stage here. And then Paul will jump over to you. Jane, welcome. Hello, good morning, good afternoon. Thanks for squeezing me in. Great topic as always and wonderful guests today. So I have a question about um, gathering the feedback from patients and participants because it's my passion too. And it surprised me even uh, late last year when I was speaking with a sponsor about taking on this idea of, well, what if we gathered data from participants about the design during the trial? Hopefully you got input before you designed it. And then their experience using the different tools. And the sponsor was really quite um, concerned about it. In fact, said, nope, I'm not sure that we're ready to take on that risk of knowing what's not working. I was shocked. So my question is, is that an outlier response? Have things changed? And how do we get people over that hurdle if they are resistant? Radio silence, who wants to go in on that? You know, one thing that's been reassuring is, um, like I, I don't point to Transcelerate for the answers to all of our questions, but it was nice to see sponsors collaborating around some steps um, related to experience measurement. And at least it was a great recognition of, of the importance of what you have been talking about for some time there, Jane. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it definitely feels like Kelly was mentioning earlier at the outset, that so many relied on feedback from sponsor from uh, from sites to tell them about the patient's experience, um, but uh, it seems like this has been modernized now. Kelly Irfan, I don't know if you have other thoughts for for Jane on that. I think more want to do it. I know some some do it before the trial, but aside from trial journey. I don't know that any sponsors are collecting information directly at, on experiences directly from participants. We all know that there's, you know, privacy regulations that we all follow and we all do. And sometimes reaching out to participants seems like a scary thing for sponsors just because of those regulations which don't prohibit the collection of um, experience data, such as your trial journey, when you use a you know, HIPAA um, and data privacy compliant platform. But Jane, to answer your question, I don't personally know of any sponsors that are currently collecting experiential data on the technology and systems um, that they're employing while the trial is going on um, aside from those that are using trial journey um, but i really look forward to the the days that are in the very near future where many more are we'll see the we'll see that default on switch uh right and and watch if sponsors really want to flip it off um with platforms uh today great great feedback hey paul welcome to clubhouse welcome to the decentralized trials club we only have a minute or so but I wanted to make sure we got over to you to introduce yourself and share your perspective today. Thanks very much, Craig. And thanks to the entire uh, panel today for a terrific discussion. Paul Howard, Director of Public Policy at Amicus Therapeutics. So I sit on the sponsor side. I know we're almost out of time. So very quick question. 
have you seen or do you see Medicaid through uh, CMS moving into this arena to help incorporate more of these types of tools and approaches at the community level for populations that are traditionally underserved or um, uh, there are barriers to access for clinical trials. So I just wanted to ask about that, which is Medicaid as a platform. Very interesting. Irfan, do you want to share some of uh, your perspective there? Yeah, that is a truly great question. Uh, I, I think that we're certainly seeing, you know, I, I, I always smile whenever the FDA, you know, has, invites commentary, because I think we all know that cascade has a very familiar shape, right? Then there's then there's guidance, and then if nobody's listening, then there's then there's rules, and so I, I think we're in that climate right now on in two threads that I think might might coalesce actually into one. So one is so I mean, maybe it's even three threads. So one is decentralization, right? Like technologies in the to advance the the uh, accessibility of clinical trials and the execution of them. Uh, that that's clearly happening and and accelerating. I think the other one that we see right now uh, in terms of legislation is these ideas around, uh, you know, fairness really is how I think about it. But equity is another way of saying that word, um, uh, equity and access in clinical trials. I think I think we're seeing that come together. And then I, I do think we are approaching a threshold where this idea of the patient's voice moving back to where it belongs at the center of the conversation in, in the development of medicines, I think that's also happening. So. Again, I, I understand it's good to know what your cognitive biases are. Since those are things I'm all obsessed about, I probably see them everywhere. But with those three threads coming together, I do think we're going to see first uh, the carrot uh, for behaving um, in ways that accelerate both decentralization, that speak to uh, diverse engagement, and that, that honor experience. And then I think if that ends up being a stumbling block, uh, and I really don't see that happening given social pressure, the changes of the last couple of years, how we think about these things. But I do think that there's serious intent behind this ac across the board. And so I am optimistic that we'll see actually um, a CMS really rewarding health centers that take on researchers care. I think there's, that, that's, that's another part of this virtuous cycle we're in. When patients are in research studies, they lean towards better outcomes, better satisfaction, um, lower cost. I, I think there are a lot of reasons, Paul, why that's a great setup maybe that we have to dig into further. It's great to have you here, Paul, and it was really a pleasure to have Kelly and Irfan sharing about their work. Artie and Jane, Paul, thank you so much for jumping on stage and sharing your perspectives. Um, one other quick shout out that I'm seeing on LinkedIn, uh, quick congratulations, Kelly, Life Sciences Voice, top industry leaders for 2021 joining names on this list like Stefan Bansell and Ann Wojcicki. That's pretty cool. Congratulations to you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Congratulations, Thank Kelly. We will be back here on TGFTCT next week with Brian uh, and the team from PwC talking about their recent report and research on retailers disrupting clinical research and decentralized trials. Amir, we got a good month ahead. It's going to be uh, good to keep uh, this conversation going. Absolutely. And thank you to everyone who comes regularly. And we look forward to seeing you next week and beyond. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Happy shoveling. <laughs> Stay well. <laughs> okay. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>